Welcome to the Well-Seasoned Librarian Podcast. This is Season 9, Episode 14, and I'm your podcast host, Dean Jones. Today, I'm talking with food writer and author Vasuda Viswanath. You may know her from her 8Well community website, where she has lots of wonderful recipes that highlight vegetarian food that is healthy and carb-free. She has a new cookbook out called Vegetarian Reset that has the same thing, where she has recipes that help you create meals for yourself or your family that are healthy and vegetarian uh, and also vegetable forward. I had a great time talking to Vasuda. She was a great guest, and I really um, was kind of really interested in hearing what she had to say about the vegetarian diet and how to cook more healthy. Uh, I'll take you to my conversation with Vasuda right away. And on we go. Welcome to the Well Season Librarian Podcast. I'm your host, Dean Jones. Today, I'm speaking with food writer Vasuda Viswanath, whose cookbook, Vegetarian Reset, is out tomorrow. Vasuda, I want to thank welcoming you to the podcast. Hi, Dean. Thank you for having me. You grew up in Bangalore, India, to what you describe as your book as a foodie family, which sounds wonderful to me. How is food essential to your family growing up? Yeah, so when we got married, my husband would often be surprised by how a simple question, what's for dinner? It can be a very loaded question in our household for for me and my parents (laughs) and my sister. Uh, We all have opinions and we're not afraid to voice them. So sometimes we can have heated debates about this. Uh, Both of my parents are great cooks. They lived in the U.S. for several years before I was born. And so they brought some Western cooking into our home. My mother would make pizza or pasta sometimes. Um, I always loved cooking and experimenting in the kitchen, even as a child. And my parents always encouraged it. And so did my extended family. I would uh, often plan a new recipe and use my allowance to buy ingredients. I would cook and bake for my friends. Um, One of my memories is that our oven would not get hot enough for a cake. So uh, we figured out a different way to bake cakes using a pressure cooker filled with sand. And, you know, it it was about the food. Um, We were a typical middle-class family, but one thing we sometimes splurged on was the occasional restaurant, and we would do these big meals with the whole family, uncles and aunts and cousins, and uh, it would just be a blast. Uh, Even my grandparents, my, my paternal grandmother, who lived until she was 92, she was not afraid to try new things, and she loved herself some pizza and, and pasta sometimes. Um, So, you know, growing up in Bangalore, Bangalore itself, it's in South India, and I think it is a foodie's paradise. You get everything from the best South Indian food, idlis and dosas and chutney, uh, to international cuisines. And and even today, when I go back there, it's really trying the food that's the priority. You've been a lifelong vegetarian. Now, I would assume... In most cases, that'd be a really healthy diet. But you say in your one of your articles that it can be challenging. Can you talk about that? Sure. So when I moved to the U.S. over a decade ago, I found that the Western notion of vegetarianism was quite different from what I'd grown up with. Um, in the West, I think people turn vegetarian, and it's usually considered a health or often an ethical decision. And today, maybe climate change is a big driver, right? Yeah. Um, 
newly turned vegetarians tend to associate a lot of uh, green healthy salads and smoothies and steamed vegetables with their diet. Uh, and when I came to the U.S. and told people I was vegetarian, they would look at me like I have a halo around my head, you know, <laughs> or sometimes with pity because I would never know the joys of eating meat. But for those who have been vegetarian for longer, like me, uh, my family has been vegetarian for generations, as have many in India. And this is usually for cultural or religious reasons. And the food, you know, I have never considered a salad a meal until I moved to America, my yeah. meals tended to revolve around grains, um, rice as a staple food of South India, or it would be bread, you know, like rotis. Of course, we ate a lot of delicious vegetables too, but the focal point is grains. And in the past, it would be ancient grains that are whole grains. Um, for example, in India, millets were uh, really popular. But yeah. in the modern world, and really in the last 50 to 80 years worldwide, it has really been refined grains that have dominated the food scene which and these are basically just pure starch and so that's what I talk about in my book you know the brand of vegetarianism that people tend to perceive as a healthy option whereas what is really re reality for people that have been vegetarian for longer and realize that it's hard to be happy eating that way when you tell people you're vegetarian when you say vegetarian do you what do you think some of the I think, and I want to say America specifically, what do you think um, the biggest misconceptions are that people have? Well, there's two big ones. I think when people move to a plant-based diet, they tend to think they're eating a lot of vegetables, but often they're eating rice and maize and wheat. And in fact, a UN report uh, a couple of years ago found that 75% of the world's food is generated from just 12 plants and five animal species. And off that list, just three, rice, maize, and wheat, these make up almost 60% of the calories obtained by humans from plants. So that tells you a lot, right? We're, we're oh, yeah. not really eating a diverse uh, vegetable and fruit-rich diet, where we're just eating a very dense, high-energy diet made of refined grains. And the other big misconception is that moving to a plant-based diet, you know, will will automatically just fix everything. It's like waving a magic wand. And I've been a lifelong vegetarian, and I really want people to know that just eating vegetarian or vegan doesn't automatically mean that you're eating healthy. And in order for any diet to be sustainable for, for us long-term, we need to get the right nutrients. What did you do when you started to look at a more healthy diet? When you started to look at um, your vegetarian diet in the United States and you wanted to make some changes to it, what were some of the um, things that you started to research to, to look into? Yeah, so this journey for me started with a doctor's note about my elevated blood sugar a couple of years ago. She said to minimize rice and pasta and bread. And I said, wait, what am I supposed to eat instead? This is how I've eaten all my life. Yeah. So that's, that's really when I had my aha moment and I started to do my research. I just started to Google these things. And then I chanced upon and ended up reading a lot of books written by some really respected scientists and doctors out there. 
And I actually found this so hugely useful that I included uh, in the appendix of my book, there's a list of uh, recommended reading. There's this book called uh, Why We Get Sick by Dr. Ben Bickman. When I read it, it made a huge impact on me. It talks about how this phenomenon called insulin resistance is connected to almost every chronic disease of today diabetes, heart disease, even brain disease. And I learned how excessive starch and sugar, they can really impact your hormones and gut health and cause chronic inflammation. And I learned I wasn't eating as many vegetables as I should or as many different kinds as I should. I learned that I didn't need to avoid fat, but I was eating the wrong kinds of fat. And I certainly wasn't eating enough protein. And so all of this made a ton of sense. I am a Libran and, and can be incredibly indecisive, but <laughs> once I have conviction about something, I'm all in. So I said, all right, I'm going to try this low carb thing. So what did you learn about carbs when you started doing this research? So, you know, our, our body is always trying to preserve its blood sugar balance. And when we eat carbs, our blood sugar, which is also known as glucose, it goes up. And our body responds by releasing a hormone called insulin, which helps to clear out that glucose into cells to use as energy. Now, this is normal, and this is exactly the way that things should work. But when we eat starchy or sugary foods rich in simple carbs, our glucose spikes high. And then our body tries to overcompensate by shooting out insulin, which then takes care of that glucose. Now, if we eat a diet that is starch and sugar heavy, this happens a lot. And then eventually our body becomes resistant to that insulin. So you need more and more insulin to do the same job. And I think of it sort of like when, when we yell at our kids all the time, at some point they stop listening, right? And yeah. Oh, yeah. <laughs> so it's exactly like that. And, and this condition, uh, it's called insulin resistance, and it's linked to a lot of chronic diseases of today. But when you eat a low carb or a low glycemic diet, largely, your blood sugar is more steady and you don't have those crashes and spikes and those cravings. And there is really no standard definition for the term low carb. To me, it just means eating a whole foods focused diet and emphasizing the protein and healthy fat and fiber on our plates. Can you talk to us a little bit about your website, We Ate Well? For sure. Uh, so We Ate Well, I, I started this website and social media uh, almost two years ago at this point. Um, I think of it as a community for foodies. It started with just recipes as I started to write my book, but I really enjoyed writing and I ended up expanding it to other long form content as well. I wanted to be a resource, not just for recipes, but also for insights on, on how to choose high quality foods and eat mindfully on a plant-based diet. So I started this, um, you know, a couple of years ago at this point, and, and uh, my newsletter is on Substack at v8well.com. And uh, I have, I think, close to 2,000 subscribers now. Um, we're also on social media, uh, Instagram, Facebook, YouTube, all the usual suspects. 
What has been some of the feedback you've gotten about your website when you when it came out? Did you get a lot of responses from people that wanted kind of more information? Yeah, I think uh, at first people really just loved the recipes. You know, I was putting out a lot of recipes and it's actually this, this whole process of, of uh, creating this website was... Uh, I had never, although I had cooked all my life, I had never shared beyond friends and family. So I had never blogged. Uh, I was always, uh, you know, quite, quite uh, the absorber on social media. I never really posted. And um, uh, so, so doing this for me, it was really a big deal. It was, you know, putting myself and my work out there. So I was uh, really, really uh, kind of apprehensive and at the same time excited to, to see what people thought. And so people loved the recipes. And I think for a lot of people, they really liked the focus on uh, the nutritional facts. And uh, so for every recipe, I usually compute uh, nutritional facts, the, the, the protein and fat and, and carbs in each recipe. Um, and then I talk a little bit about some of the nutritional benefits about the ingredients. So I think people really liked that because uh, most of the time when there's a food blog, it's, it's about the pleasure, right? It's about the pleasure of eating and, and cooking. And um, uh, so I think, straddling that kind of balance between uh, flavor and nutrition, people found that interesting. So I would often get questions about, oh, what makes this ingredient better than, than that? Or, uh, you know, have you tried this with, with a different, different uh, vegetable and, and why not? Or, or why did you replace the, the rice in that recipe? Um, but as I expanded to uh, some long form content, you know, I would write about my own uh, journey um, into eating this way, or uh, I had the chance to interview uh, some, some people from the industry that have created some really high quality food products. And so I found that those types of content also uh, were, were really well received and, and people, I think, because people, I think, found me to be kind of an explorer. And that, that's how I think of myself as well. I'm not the expert in any of these topics. I'm not, I'm not a nutritionist. I'm not a doctor. I'm not a trained chef. I'm just exploring this world just as others are. And so I think maybe some of what I put across, it, it saved people time because, uh, you know, I was giving them information that was valuable and actionable. This episode is sponsored by Culinary Historians of Northern California, a Bay Area educational group dedicated to the study of food, drink, and culture in human history. To learn more about this organization and their work, please visit their website at www.chnorcal.org. You now, as of this airing air date, um, 
so tomorrow, as of this uh, conversation, when people hear it, you're going to have your new book come out. It's called The Vegetarian Reset. I want to talk a little bit with you about the philosophy that went into writing this book and what it was like uh, writing a new book for you. Yeah, for sure. Um, well, when it comes to the philosophy, I think it's it's easy for me to say cut out the refined grains and processed food from your diet. But at the end of the day, that's easier said than done, right? Oh, we yeah, yeah. Have, yeah, we all have our own problems. And, and it's often hard to change habits because some foods are rooted in our identities or they help us handle our emotions. And sometimes we just don't have the headspace to make a big change in our lives. So on my part, what I try to do is to make that choice easy. I don't want to have people have to choose between eating healthy and eating delicious. I want them to crave that zucchini bread or that sag lasagna because it looks and sounds impossibly delicious, not because it's healthy. And it's really not about the noodles or the grains or the flour anymore. It's about the flavor. And I, I feel like you don't need to banish anything from your life. You know, it's okay to eat cake or rice or pasta or whatever. But I think the, the key is to try to eat whole foods like 80% of the time and, and make these other foods a treat. Because once you embrace whole foods, you automatically want to eat healthy because it, it makes you feel your best. And you always want to feel your best. So you tend to kind of lean towards eating that way. Now, the book has nine significant chapters, all of them with many recipes. This is not a little book. This is like, you know, quite comprehensive. What were the challenges for you writing this book? Oh, so many. Um, there were some technical challenges like learning to bake without all flour or sugar. But the biggest challenge was just, I think, the process of writing the book because I was learning everything along the way. When I started this project, I intended to self-publish. And I had no knowledge of what needs to be done and no connections in the industry whatsoever. So I just got my hands dirty. I read up as much as I could and I did my best. I was, um, I was fortunate to, to hire some really great freelancers along the way for photography and editing and design. Uh, but the whole process was very unconventional and I'm sure I did many things out of order. When I finished the photo shoot, I thought I was nearly done, but then I learned that the hardest part of writing a book was actually writing the book, getting those 40,000 words down on paper. And, um, and you know, that, that took so much time and I was never happy with it. And uh, I think I would say that that was probably the most surprising challenge that I encountered. You bring up something that I, I found very, um interesting um or very, I, it had, gave me a lot of questions there's a lot of wonderful food photography in this book and alexandra scheitzman did some amazing food photography did you do you have any input on that or were you able to kind of work with them on that how did that work out for you yeah she's she's brilliant i'm so glad i found her uh and i did have some input we uh went over all of the recipe recipes prior to the shoot and we discussed what we wanted to highlight and what kind of angle would showcase it best. We talked a little bit about some props. I had some fun shopping for props and uh, the photo shoot itself. 
oh my God, it was like running a restaurant. You know, we, we shot 75 recipes over seven days. So we were doing like 12 recipes a day and we would shoot in the morning, 8 a.m. to evening, 6 p.m. There would be all of this food that I had to figure out what to do with at the end of the day because you just can't eat that much. And then yeah. I had to buy groceries <laughs> for the next oh, yeah. day. Because I live in Manhattan, I have a tiny fridge and freezer and, you know, I can't just store anything. So it was, uh, I think I just ran on adrenaline for that shoot, but uh, it was some of the best fun I've ever had. Um, and the book is, is, is beautiful. And I also have to credit my amazing designer, uh, Liliana, who, um, who really brought my vision to life. I wanted the recipes to look approachable. So I asked her to make them look like a recipe card, you know, quick, easy to read. You kind of have the ingredients and then the directions. Uh, you can take them in at, at a glance. And the and the nutrition chart as well was was something that we worked hard on. I really liked that. I liked how the photo photography tied in with the recipes because it really made you want to try them. Specifically for me, like the Cacao de Pepe um, and, you know, a few others that I really liked. I wanted to also talk to you about something that I think will be very popular that I want to let people know about, because to me, it was something that was a standout in the in the cookbook that I was used a lot in the cookbook. And that was your zucchini bread. Now, this isn't the zucchini bread people think of immediately, like the, like the, the one that's like a pastry you'd get in a bakery. This is a little bit different. You want to talk about that? Yeah, I'd love to. Um you hit the nail on the head. Uh, it's it's not your uh, average, uh, you know, sweet zucchini bread that 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 we normally make during the summer. This one is a savory sandwich loaf. Um, it's made with chickpea flour and almond flour, and um, it has this gorgeous uh, moist texture from the zucchini and this lovely light savory flavor that comes from the chickpea flour. Uh, it is a quick bread, so there's no proving or anything like that. It's, it's gluten-free. And um, I tend to make multiple loaves at a time when I make it because uh, you know it's a small loaf. It doesn't last that long in, in my household. And I use it all over the book, just, I, I wanted to showcase its versatility. So I use it for anything that you would normally do with bread, you know, make avocado toast, make this uh, delicious Indian dish called pav bhaji. Um, for French onion soup, I, I melt cheese all over it. And I mean, who can say no to that? Um, yeah, nobody. But I also use it to make uh, croutons and, and breadcrumbs to uh, coat my arancini. And um, I, I hope that everybody loves this recipe as much as I do and it becomes, you know, a staple for you because it's, um, it's, it's something that I, I think uh, is unique. It's, it's different from a sourdough. It's different from your average supermarket bread. And it, it just has so much flavor just on its own. I mean, for me, I as somebody who likes to bake, I, I often do look at some low carb or no carb uh, ideas and mm -hmm. very few of them. I mean, actually, none of them before your book have ever actually enticed me to try it. Your zucchini bread is the first one, I think. And I do want to try this because it does seem like a really viable option. I could see this making magnificent toast. I could see it being really good for zucchini, uh, avocado toast and other things. So it seems like you really kind of like 
broke through and got ahead of the pack there. So I want to say congratulations on that. Oh, that's music to my ears. Thank you. It was a tough recipe to develop. Now, who are some of the food writers that you like to read? I know that, you know, you, you seem, you know, to, you really seem in your book to love cookbooks. I could tell because the way you made it, the language of the writing of the recipes is really specific and you put a lot of yourself into it. And then your hand in the art direction and everything, I could really see that you love cookbooks. Who are some of the people that you love? Yeah, I mean, there are so many, but um, let's start with uh, Deb Perlman of Smitten Kitchen. Um, you know, I can read her head notes all day long, <laughs> not to mention her foolproof recipes. Um, I'm also a huge Ottolenghi fan. Um, and, oh, yeah. You know, he and his team create all of these impossibly delicious looking vegetable forward dishes that I think no omnivore can say no to those. And, and no. he is, uh, his work is a huge inspiration. Um, in recent times, I've uh, on Substack, I started to read Mark Bittman's uh, newsletter and I really enjoy that. Um, you know, he has uh, outside of some really great recipes, uh, he also has a focus on whole foods and regenerative agriculture, and and these are topics that I'm passionate about as well. So, um, yeah, I mean, I could go on with this list, but uh, those are those are uh, my current top three. Those are some great ones. Mark Bittman specifically, I really love his work, and he's he's kind of a force of nature right now. So, I yeah. like following him. So Basuda, I want to ask you, what's next for you? Well, um, I want to stay in the food and wellness space. Um, I think there are hopefully more cookbooks in my future. Um, but once I celebrate this one and then recover from it, and I, I really want to take in that feedback as well, you know, from, from my readers, because I, I feel like I uh, did this project in a little bubble. Uh, you know, I was working by myself. Uh, obviously, my family and my friends said everything was fantastic. So I'm actually really curious to see what, uh, how it does out in the wild and, and what uh, people out there think about it and think about the recipes and, and kind of take and what they want to see more of or less of and take that feedback into account. Um, in the future, I really do want to impact people at scale and create awareness about eating healthy. So I'm thinking about expanding my newsletter or perhaps launch some digital products, but um, I am going to be continuing to focus on cooking and writing and uh, I, I don't see those two things going away. That's good to hear. I mean, I think people are going to really love Vegetarian Reset, and I recommend anybody that's listening to this to go out and get it right now. It's going to be available online. Um, you could, you know, you could get it uh, the day after this podcast. You'll be able to get it online, and you could probably even pre-order it the day before, and it'll be available at all better bookstores. So, Basuda, I want to thank you for being on the podcast. I really enjoy getting a chance to talk to you. Same here. Thank you for having me on. That was my conversation with Vasuda Viswanath. Her new book, Vegetarian Reset, 
is out tomorrow, but you can pre-order it today through Amazon or Barnes & Noble. It should also be available tomorrow at all better bookstores. Please join us on Friday. We'll be talking with Maggie Zhu of Chinese Homestyle. She also runs the Omnivores Cookbook website. I'm as well very excited that you hear my conversation with Maggie. I had a really good time trying out some of the recipes from her cookbook. Um, it doesn't say it in the title, but it is a vegetarian cookbook, and I didn't miss the meat, definitely. And my family raved about um, many of the recipes that we made from the cookbook and uh, literally almost licked the plate clean. So I think you're going to love my conversation with Maggie. Check that out on uh, Friday. I hope you're all having a great week and a wonderful start to the week. I hope you're all cooking some great recipes. And until Friday, keep on cooking. Hey, it's Ryan Reynolds, and I'm here with Keith, co-star of my upcoming film, If, only in theaters May 17th. Do you want to tell people the big news? All right, I'll do it. Sign up now, and you'll get unlimited for $15 a month in six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan on us. MintMobile.com slash switch. Upfront payment of $45, equivalent to $15 per month. Unlimited over 40 gigabytes per month. Face lower speeds. Videos at 480p. Active Mint customers by 531.24 get six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan. Auto renews after six months. Offer ends May 31st, 2024. Separate Paramount Plus registration required. Terms and conditions apply if rated PG. 